Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How was your alternate holiday Monday? Alternate holiday. We're we're right in the middle of the two holidays, right? We got mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're straddling in the U.S. the two holidays of Christmas and New Year. So we're on a Wednesday, right in the middle there. Monday right. is Christmas, and next Monday is Happy New Year. Actually, the holidays are always like New Year's Eve is the big time, right? Yeah. I mean, no, nobody does anything on, on New Year's Day except recover from a hangover. Yeah. And maybe go to a very crowded gym. <laughs> because everybody is time to, to do their resolutions for a week or two. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. I uh, Speaking of which, you, do you have any, uh, or do you do New Year's resolutions all this time? I guess I, we haven't really talked about that too much. Do you ever have like, no. I'm going to do this thing for a new year. Not really. Um, I think maybe after the holidays, I might try to, um, you know, shift my morning schedule a little bit earlier. So I have some some chill time before I start work. Oh, that's that's, but, that's well, always recommended. If you can do that. I mean, I used to do that where I'd go in and sit at a cup of coffee at a place before I go. And that really helped my day, I think. Right, right. Um, what did I saw one of my friends sent me a, a tweet or a meme was like, I was talking to a guy about new year's resolutions and he was like, Oh, I don't do this. So blah, 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 you know, just stuff. And then I told him how last year my resolution was to try as many different kinds of cheese as I could. <laughs> and this year I'm going to do something, something else. And they were like, wait, I didn't know you could do fun ones do a <laughs> yeah, fun one. they don't have to be terrible right 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 you know i guess resolutions are things that you're going to do you resolve to do differently maybe or better and yeah that doesn't have right. to involve pain and and difficulty i i never i don't put a lot of stock in them because i mean it's it's always good to to you know set yourself up and say i'm gonna do better at x y or z but yeah, I, I'm I'm I know myself. And if I try to do mm-hmm. something that's like a faddish or um, what is it like a, a temporary thing, like I'm just going to do this one thing and then see if I can make it through. I probably can't. I'm good at like having the willpower and to, to, to stick it through. But it's always viewed as a temporary thing. Like I'm doing this just to make it through. Right. Oh, sure. And And then and I don't mean just like weight loss or something. I'm talking about like whatever it might be that I want to change, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to make mm-hmm. it this X amount of time. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I did it. Now I'm going to go back to how I was. So it has to be, I think for like resolutions for me have to be kind of actual changes for real good reasons that, that matter. Like if it was a weight loss thing, it's like, so that, you know, for my kids, um, you mm-hmm. know, my health, that to actual things that, that are, you know, reasons beyond me, just wanting to do it. Um, right. But yeah, so I, I never really had that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm doing the, um, fun one, I think too, this year. Um, it's a silly one, but I think I'd mentioned it to you earlier about, uh, I'm going to watch deep space nine. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch all the episodes. Oh, this year. I, I don't think I heard about this. Oh yeah. I've, but I've just decided to, I watched, it was, uh, I'm sure it was a TikTok of, I like the French horn. 
lot. And mm-hmm. someone, this, oh, I've seen that. I've one seen of the girls plays time. French horn. Yeah. And when you're telling me a French horn, they always ask you to play Star Wars with the Twin Sons and mm. the Deep Space Nine theme. Um, and I was like, man, I really love these Star these Star Trek themes. They're just so good. Um, yeah. And Deep Space Nine has a beautiful opening one. It's weird because they just spin around the 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 station, the station which they make fun of on Lower Decks. Nor. but uh you know and and i just i i always have that uh oh i'll watch it someday i'll i'll get to watch some things i've i'll watch episodes here and there and get bored <laughs> nothing but but as a, so as a fun like buckle down i want to do this thing and actually get through it that's if i had a resolution this year it's going to be i want to watch deep space nine and i want to watch it before the end of february uh, get through it so okay well not like a year because if i do it's another thing if i put it up through like a year i'm gonna do this in a year then i'll wait until december and forget that i ever made that resolution (laughs) you know so yeah um so that's that's good that that means that um when i'm sitting around and not and just going to put something on for like background or go to bed to it's going to now i'm going to make sure it's deep space nine so we'll see what all the hubbub is about that everybody who adores it yeah, I I'm sure I talked about this at the time, but I when when I was first getting into Star Trek, I had the most affection for the original and then also really enjoyed Next Generation. Yeah. Um and Voyager and Deep Space 9 were both like the lame ones for whatever reason. Sure. Um I don't know that I ever really gave either one much of a shot except for maybe seeing a random episode in hotel rooms or stuff like that. The uh, Voyager put me off because the intro was CGI and oh, okay. like right. very early CGI that was bad. I think if you watch it like on Netflix or something that, that's been remastered so it doesn't look um it doesn't look bad anymore. Um okay. kind of like they did with the original series. But um, probably three or four years ago now, um, I went back with both series and, um, followed a sort of episode guide to like, here are the ones to watch, um, rather than, you know, try to slog through the whole thing, starting with like, starting with top 10 episodes and realizing that those are contextual Right. right, like, um, there's an episode of Deep Space Nine that's mostly about Nog, who's Quark's nephew, right. and it's an excellent episode. But if you watch it out of context, you you're missing all of the emotional weight of the story, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, this is not what I want. I want somebody's uh, watch guide um, with like, you know, a handful of episodes each season that are like, this one's really good. These few are important to whatever storyline. Um, and I got through that with Voyager to the end. And with Deep Space Nine, I think I dropped off somewhere in the middle of the Dominion War. Hmm. Um, just had other things to watch or whatever and never finished it. But um, yeah, yeah, that- it's it's good. It's just different. It's different from the others because they're not adventuring. It's much more about people and, you know, politics and yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah. And it, and it's like, I remember watching it 
my past feelings of it is that things seem to happen elsewhere. Like they talk about Bajor and they, mm-hmm. they talk a lot about, you know, what's going on, on other planets, but they don't go to them because it's on the station. They just like people come to them and they have right. these controversies and ships will fly in from other places. I mean, I'm sure there's episodes, plenty of episodes where they go to other planets, but that's not the typical MO for the show. It's like, what new what new problem has come to us today instead of us going to to them and causing problems mm-hmm. you know um so yeah. that that was that was something a little weird for me is that you know w- when you go when you're on a ship and you go to a planet and you're on an adventure everyone on the ship is involved with that thing right because that's all their right. jobs in deep space 9 they're like bartenders and tailors and you know, mini mall workers, um, you know, <laughs> kids of the captain, you know, local sheriff. They're not actually like something new comes to town. It's not all, always that they all have to deal with it and focus on that thing. But all right. anyway, I will watch that show and I'll probably talk about it here and there. Uh, any kind of good things, or at least I'll, I'll impart across to it because... I don't think there's going to be any bad things because I, I know what it's about. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, New Year's happening. Um, we've got this coming up. We're not in January yet, but I know you and I have um trip out west. I mean, you're you're going to be living out west again for a while. Um, right. But we're going to go to Vegas. That'll be my first time officially in Vegas. Your second time now, right? In in mm-hmm. span of a month or two. Um. Yeah, outside. I mean, I was there over over Thanksgiving, right. and then I'll be there right in January. I'll be at the park where I left my RV. I'll be there for about a week, and then back up to Nevada. The um, yeah, so you'll you'll head out that way. We're going so we're going to be out to Vegas and check out those places. I I'm I'm a little excited about it because I don't know what to expect and it's nice that I'm gonna be going out there with, with people who are experienced Vegas people like Pat and Chris. Sure. Um and they've got places they really want to see. I, I see Pat usually once or twice a week and we talk and he um you know he's I know he's equally excited to to share these different places with us that he talks about occasionally and like oh I really want you to go to this I really want you to go see that and so that makes me feel even more excited about it that I won't just have to go there and, and gamble. He is also looking up to set us up like a, our group of friends, a friend group poker tournament, which is sounds great. Sure. Yeah. I was like, is it at the casinos run by a casino person? Or are we just doing it in the hotel room? He, he wasn't really clear. So, hmm. but uh, that, that that'll be fun to, to do. So I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that trip. And you are, in the world right now, you're actually back in Indiana, correct? That's right. Yeah. I, um, did you drive? I forgot. Did you drive or did you fly? I did drive. I, I set the camper up at a park in Arizona, an RV park. And that was Friday. Um, and then I spent the rest of Friday. So Friday I drove, I pulled the camper to the park, set it up and then drove back the other way was a weird sort of backtracking thing but just the logistics of an rv park where i could leave the rig without me being there um which is not normally is usually not allowed in the the rv park membership i'm in um 
can't store it. And right. right. They don't want people to use it for storage. Basically. I I'm guessing. Um, and I wanted to set it up somewhere that was, um, going to be warm enough that I was not worried about it freezing. Yeah. Um, because it was freezing at the higher elevation in Arizona where I was camped before. Um, but anyway, I dropped it off and then drove another like three, four hours, uh, back East. And then, um, that was Friday. So Friday I stayed in Holbrook, Holbrook, something like that. Uh, East of Winslow, I think, from the Eagles song, uh, both of which are about an hour east of Flagstaff. Okay. And then Saturday night, I stayed in Amarillo, Texas. Sunday night, I stayed in Springfield, Missouri. And then Monday, Christmas Day, I drove the rest of the way like six hours um, to southern Indiana. Ah. And then... Next week, I'm going to do the opposite of that. <laughs> Go right back. Go all the way back out. It's total, the total estimate was about 27 hours yeah. on Google Maps. And then plus, you know, the occasional wrong turn. Uh, uh, it rained most of the way and actually caught a little bit of snow in northern Arizona where the elevation was high, like 4,000 feet-ish above sea level. And, um, what was I, oh, and then Saturday I took a little detour through, um, the petrified forest. Oh, how's that? I always kind of wanted to go out there to see that. National park. How was that? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's like, you know, they're just like chunks. They look like logs of like a broken, you know, like a sliced up tree for firewood, but they're mostly stone now. It's kind of wild. That is wild. Um, and then the the hills are, you know, it's kind of like the Badlands, but there's a little more variation in, in the color. Plus, it was sort of drizzly raining, so all of the, like, the red um, mesa clay or stone or whatever was really um, uh, vibrant more than it would be if it were dry. Man, I kind of want to see it. Now, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm tempted. I'm a... Uh, resisting the temptation to google it right now see because I, I remember reading about the <laughs> like the petrified forest when i was a kid um and yeah thinking, oh, that'd be the coolest place to go out and see that thing but it, it sort of caught me by surprise because i don't know i don't know off the top of my head where all the national parks are and it was right off of i-40 um most of which runs parallel to um route 66 i actually followed um, I was actually on Route 66 for a lot of Oklahoma, I think, because yeah. I have my I have my Google Maps set to avoid tolls, and one of those states has tolls on I-40 or I-44 or something, and I didn't even realize it. I was like, why am I off the highway and on these state routes or U.S. routes? And then, then at one point, I was on. Route 66 for a few hours. Like, you're like, oh, I'm on cool. Route 66. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doing the thing. I uh, those Speaking of those uh, like um, old ancient wood petrified things, and they've got petroglyphs out there, you know, old cave paintings that are kind of per- permanent. Yeah. Um, 
and I, w I was watching a thing the other day. It was like a, a video of a history professor teaching in college, teaching a class. And he was talking about how Alexander the Great, when he came to the pyramids in Egypt to conquer Egypt, he was stunned by the, the how old they, they were and the ancientness of them. And mm -hmm. he was like, these are centuries and centuries and centuries of old, hundreds of centuries old. Uh, and he, the, he, the, the professor looked at the, his students and he said, we are as far now from Alexander the Great as he was from the foundation of the, the pyramids when they were created, mm. when he watched them. Yeah. Like, oh, it's you know, about 2,000 years. They were 2,000 years old when he went to him, another 2,000 years old from him when Alexander the Great came out. So, right, right. Oh man, history is a, is a crazy thing. My, my, my kids in town this week and we have long discussions about stuff. And we, we talk about that kind of stuff of what we were talking about the other day about um, sound, you know, when recording sound and playing back and hearing things that was from the past, basically, you know, I record a thing, you hear my voice that I something I said before, is only like 150 years old at most. Right. Um, and you're right. like, man, that's, that seems like a normal part of life and society is hearing voices that aren't here or from the past recordings and things like that. And so much of our history as humans has like astronomically changed within 150 years. And within the last, yeah, yeah, I, I listened to, um, of course I was driving for, almost 30 hours. And so I listened to several audiobooks and caught up on some of my podcasts. And one of the podcasts I listened to is called the omnibus project where uh, they just talk about a random thing. And one of those episodes was on like, uh, fraternal organizations, like the Elks, the Masons, the Knights of Columbus, um, all of those, Moose Lodge, VFW, right? Like stuff that used to be really big, like in the fifties and sixties and have kind of um, trailed off in recent decades. But um, they talked about how George Washington was a Mason yeah. and there are rare, like at some point they were talking about like the, the pictures of him. And I'm thinking they didn't make this reference, but I'm thinking I'm picturing it and I'm like, okay, George Washington, except those are all paintings, right? We didn't have um, photography like camera technology until the 19th century, until the 1800s, like maybe really early 1800s, but um, still it was like just becoming practical, like around the Civil War. Yeah. Um, and I was like, so you could do... George Washington, like with a, with the apron and I don't know, trowel, whatever implements of a, of a Freemason. And I was like, huh, it actually was easier to Photoshop things before photography, <laughs> right? Because it's a painting, right? You could paint it however, and that's what they would do, like get the person's face and then the artist puts in the details um, later. Yeah, yeah, um, they they just sketch just really quickly a, what they what they see yeah. maybe, you know. 
That's funny. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I absolutely love that how you're equating painting to Photoshop. That's 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 phenomenal. Well, I love it. That's what I mean. It's like the proof, right? You're like, oh, it's and, and that's the thing in the modern. Well, now it's a little more about AI, but for years it was like, is this real or is it photoshopped? Like, did somebody alter this after the fact? And you're like, well, with a with a painting, there was none of that. Like, it's it already altered. Yeah. was subjective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, last week we talked about my favorite painting, the the coronation of Napoleon and that kind of stuff. You know, an artist mm-hmm. is there, a thing happens quickly, and he's got to, you know, jot he or she has to jot down their thoughts as quickly as possible, and then go back later and do anything they want from memory. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, or or Photoshop it, as we say. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty cool, man. Um, I don't uh, envy you the the drive time. I'll I'll tell you that much. I. I remember making a 30 hour trip out West many over a decade ago and thinking, I, I liked, I'm glad that I did this, but I don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's really just tedious mostly. Right. Um, but you know, I can, and, and you had Angel I can manage you, right? it. I don't, yeah, I have my dog with me. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I could be a truck driver. Yeah. That's what I But said. I have I more, not. I have more tolerance for long drives than I used to. Yeah. Um, oh, because you, you're in the car the, so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I usually don't go far, right? I try not to, I try to keep the drive day under like four or five hours at most sure. when I'm moving. And it's, it's more stressful with the camper. So that was, I mean, even though my, my towing setup is much easier than most people who are towing campers. Um, with bigger vehicles and bigger campers, it still is just more. You can't go as fast. You've got more. You've taken up more space to be aware of. And yeah, and and, and your that. travel, like when I go and travel, let's say I want to travel four hours. Example, that's from here to Chicago, and mm-hmm. um, we've had discussions about this in the past about how out west four hours is like that's got to go to the grocery store, um, right. as, oppo- as opposed to here. That's like we go four hours twice a year maybe right that's that's as far as i'm gonna go um but uh yours is not just getting up and going four hours okay i gotta make a four-hour trip it's getting up spending an hour or two prepping the darn everything and then driving and then undoing it again right like yeah a couple yeah. hours of that I'm yeah sure so it's that part of it now, but yeah yeah i mean it's you know just go through the process and try not to try not to forget any of the steps yeah, because um, then, then you look some down of which, and your trailer's gone one day on the road. <laughs> right. So, some of them are very hard to forget, like the whole process of hitching everything up and packing everything that I keep outside back inside the camper. I I never forget any of that stuff. Um, but other little things, like I have latches to keep the fridge closed. Yep. yep. Um, and I've forgotten those a couple times and had all the condiments and stuff spill out all over the floor you're just like ah geez (laughs) right and so so that aspect of of the drive out here wasn't as bad because i just had to at some point in the day figure out where a good city was to stop in find a place that allowed dogs and where the pet fee wasn't too high and the rate itself wasn't too high of course um and then just get there check in carry my bag set up the bed, take a shower, go to bed. And then 
in the morning, pack everything up, you know, back on the road in 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, man, we had, uh, um, all pet owners are different, of course, but Sid and I went, went looking at a couple houses this last weekend and, um, one of the houses went to, we got in the door and turned right around because it had been a rental and they had clearly a big mm. dog that lived with them and they yeah. did not care to keep it clean from a big dog. Cause it just like smelled like wet dog everywhere. All the windows had, you know, nose prints all over them, just like mm-hmm. slime stuff. And it was like the house just reeked of that. And I've had a dog for a long time. And I know that's, that's not a thing. I mean, that's a normal thing, but you can, you know, do things to prevent that. You clean up after them. You wash right. your sheets. You wash your house. You, you know, stuff like that. And, I, and but yeah, you don't. I think you, get, my... you get houses that are terrible, you know, like that. Right. Yeah. My house that I flipped back a couple of years ago um, had a room upstairs that we were pretty sure somebody kept a dog in because, like, there were scratches on the trim and stuff like that. It just it just happens and um you know they have accidents and if you don't clean up and it's unfortunately true of a lot of rental properties people just don't you know there are people who don't um take care of stuff if it's not theirs yeah yeah right they they just don't have the they're not invested in it right and then they leave that's why and that's why they leave and then the place is like they're trying to sell it Mm -hmm. and i was like nope uh, so yeah, that that was kind of where I was going. That was that the, uh, you know, you can clearly many, many, many people have lots of animals and dogs and stuff like that, and their houses don't smell mm-hmm. or have problems like that because you take care of your animal, you take care of your house, you you do what you do. But those who don't, man, the animal smell is just completely noticeable, like wet dog type thing, um, and. It, it it made me it made me upset a little bit just because it's like how how could someone not take care of their animal enough and then two how could they not take care of their home enough even if it is a rental type thing so if you ha- right. here's my here's my public service announcement if you have an animal take care of it they're like people you know and yeah geez people <laughs> um, yeah we we got to go see a couple houses that were they were, I think there wasn't anything that really like, uh, jumped out of us is really, really great, but there was, we did, it's amazing sometimes when you go to a house and especially today with photo manipulation, it's that they, mm-hmm. it's just, especially AI staging that they do now. Um, yeah, I, I was tell. surprised when I think one of you in our, in our discord said something about that. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's staging, like there's house staging in the real world, like how much, and then you sent us some of those photos and I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying. That's not just like putting showroom furniture in an average house. That's like, they took this, uh, rundown eighties kitchen and used AI to make it look like a brand new 2020s kitchen Yeah, with like walls torn out and big, big, uh, sliding doors and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's that's beyond staging that's um um it's, it's lying false right? advertising I mean, false ad- yeah. yeah and and it's gotten it's gotten obviously now i'm looking actually looking at these things as, as for real stuff and even my realtor you know we often will see houses for the first time together um and mm-hmm. it's it's nice to be able to say i 
show her a thing. She's like, well, that's not actually what it looks like. Those pictures are misleading. I've been there. It's not quite that. So that's that's nice right. to have. But oftentimes we'll walk into a house and we did this the same case last time is that the the square footage on the house looks smaller than I wanted, but the pictures looked like there's plenty of room and plenty of space that I wanted. So we went and looked mm. and they had clearly extended the rooms in the pictures. It wasn't just like a fisheye like they like to do. Right. Like they, it was yeah. way bigger. Like they had clearly done a good, some kind of program that stretched out every room to make it look like it's way longer. So you had what looked like a square room in the entryway. And then you look on the pictures online, it looks like this long hallway rectangle room. And you're yes. like, that is, and it just bothered me. And the thing was, is that that house was really nice. It's a really nice home um, with some good space and spaces um, a neat thing, maybe not necessarily for me, but still up in the air with it. But I just went into the house with a complete wrong perspective. And I yeah, it's was a walking weird, around thinking, like, this is not cool, you know? Like, it's not, it's it's a weird, like, I'm trying to figure out the motivation. Or right. the, like, yeah, the, yeah, the motivation for it. Because it's not like, um, it's not like a store, right? Like, I don't think too many people impulse buy houses like <laughs> hopefully not right yeah. maybe maybe a car right you do like the old um stuff you see in movies about like sawdust in the oil or what i don't know if any of that stuff is real but like old school used car uh sales um scams yeah right to make the car seem better than it is until you know the person's already bought it and then it's too late yeah. um Buying a house is a whole process, right? You got to go through financing and usually get inspections and titles and all this stuff. Like it takes weeks to months. And so what are, like, are people looking at those photos? And then once they're standing in the house, like they fall in love with it anyway, like just to get them in the door kind of thing. Like, does that really work? Are enough people like able to overlook the blatant deception of these uh, AI photos to actually, actually sell the house. Like it's just weird to me. Like I'm struggling to wrap my head around it. I I agree with you. And, and I, to answer that, I had a problem going in and not what could have maybe been a, a decent house or a thought of things is that I just could not get over that this was not what I wanted to see coming here. And I had ideas coming to the house. Like, well, and I'd like to see yeah, this That's what makes sense space. to me. Like I, I feel like most people would walk into that space and be put off by the, by the deception of it. It seems mm-hmm. like it would be counter to the seller or the realtor or whomever is doing the, the, the Photoshopping to like, it seems like it would be counterproductive to their goals. Yeah, yeah, which is I, actually selling the house. Just correct, a baffling correct. And, and who knows? I'm not. I don't know the stats and all that stuff. But if maybe it's just getting them in the door, I don't know. But for me, it was not. It's not been a good thing, and it's actually made me more sad at, that because I think the technology that we have now of being able to go into a place like Zillow or any kind of home shopping place and see places and get information on a place before you actually go right. feels like yeah. such a great boon for technology in our, our lives and society and to help the world. And then to have yeah, it not, kind of not having, that way. having that information like available to the buyer and not um, 
like behind this walled garden, only realtors can see stuff like that. It exactly. seems like something good. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and then people abuse it and, and change it and stuff like that. So it, it is what it is. And uh, I'm hoping while we don't have a lot um, that we really want right now, there's, there's a potential one house, but it's not quite perfect yet because it's still being built. Mm. But um, it's the, it's one of those like new construction. So I, the, the outside walls are on and the inside sticks are in, but there's no drywall or anything. So I can't see yeah, yeah, yeah. the space type stuff. Um, hard to, hard to visualize. Yeah. It's really hard. To, and before everything, when, when you can see through the walls, like, I mean, that's the whole thing of staging is like giving, giving people's imagination an assist. I lost you. Are you there? I'm back. Okay. Let me put a marker in real quick. Okay. What I heard Somebody was when you can see through the walls. Dishes. Yeah. When you can see through the walls, it, it kind of um, makes it difficult to actually visualize the space. It's part of why staging exists. Right? To Correct. just kind of assist people's imagination in, um, you know, picturing space yeah and, and when i when, when we built the house here that i'm in now it's that it was like a i've said multiple times even on the show it's that it's um it looks like a postage stamp when you put the little thing down and then it's actually you know like 2600 square feet and but it looks really really small and you just can't imagine how this can be anything big and then when they put the sticks up you you kind of see okay it's a i can see how it fits here but and then when they put the walls up all of a sudden just visually everything changes and opens up um, and that's where I was at with that house is that it's, um, it looks small, but everything except downstairs looks amazing. And so I'm waiting to maybe they put up some walls and then I'll, and that, so that's the only one that's like, if it looks nice when they put the walls up, then it could be, a, okay, I'm jumping on that. We're going to do, we're going to do that, that house, but uh, mm-hmm. that's the only one. And we're hoping for, um, Sydney and I are hoping for, um, new houses, to, a bunch of new houses to come on the market that they would wait through December. They don't want to do the holidays and such. Um, oh, sure. In January, I guess, supposedly people, because people wait that you have a bunch of bunch come on the market. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. We'll, we'll cross our fingers and see how that goes. Um, but the search is always is forever on. Uh, okay. So what do we got w- this week? Um, let's, let's go ahead and start off with our, our, our movie this week um, to get that going. <laughs> All right, this week we watched Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, uh, from, like, last week. This is brand new. Um, written and directed by Zack Snyder. A couple other writing credits. Um, stars Sophia Botella, Juman Hansu from... Yeah, there's what's, what's two writers. I looked at this one. The two writers are like people that he's worked with before on other things. One yeah. of them's one of them's yeah. a pretty young writer, like in his twenties. Um, um, but I think it was primarily Charlie Hunnam from from Pacific Rim and Sons of Anarchy. Uh, oh, and that's also Michelle uh, Isn't in that? And he also from from the Viking show. Michelle. Um, is that the same guy? No, maybe he's not. in. Maybe I'm seeing. No, he's yeah, I'm seeing in it. one of those shows like that. Um, the new King Arthur. 
Oh right, one of the new King Arthur things. Um, I don't think he's in the Viking show. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm getting the actors wrong. Uh, Well, I'll lead off with this one because I a little bit. I'll lead off with this because I uh, I recommended it and I think it's terrible. Just there's cut straight to the chase. I think it's terrible. Um, I don't think I said it last week. I don't think Zack Snyder. I don't personally believe Zack Snyder is a bad director. Um, I think he's actually pretty good. Um, he he did 300. He's done some other things. And w- when you watch Justice League and stuff, he he has a visual style for sure. And he is a very imaginative person. I think good directors are who can just visualize what they want and try to make it come to life. Um, is a hard thing to do. And he, I think he does a good job with it. It's just that every other thing he needs to stay away from. I mean, he doesn't need to write. He doesn't need to produce. He doesn't need to cast. He should just stick with directing (laughs) and he'll do great. Because as I went back looking through his portfolio, all the things where he was involved creatively beyond directing aren't great at all. Um, And when you look at something like 300, there's not a lot of words in that film anyway. Right. So it's, it's, it's primarily a visual piece, which is, what he gets to do. Um, so right. that being said, this is another place where he just completely, I think falls down and the writing is just not good. So much exposition. And if you don't know what that word mm-hmm. is, go look it up and this, and then go watch this film and you'll say, Oh, that's what exposition is. And you'll know it for the rest of the time because they do it like every 15 minutes, they will have one person talk and tell instead of show. And I thought of you, Dennis, when, when I was watching that, cause you have said multiple times about how you should show something instead of telling you something in films. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what kept happening. They would like, I remember the first thing they, or even the, the opening scene, they have um, a There's narrator a come on a voiceover telling mm-hmm. the whole history of stuff. And they're not showing anything relevant. They're just showing a ship come out of hyperspace and fly through space a portal thing. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, they're not um, showing us any of the atrocities. They're not showing us any of the people. They're not showing us anything. And then the girl tells her story, and they just show, like, pans of the city, sci-fi city. And they're not showing her parents get killed. They're not showing any of the atrocities. They're just showing this. Then they pan to her as a little girl. And one slow-mo shot of her holding a gun to the bad guy's head. And while she talks the whole time, I'm like, can't you can't you fill this with what you're telling me instead of telling me it? And it just never mm-hmm. ends with it. Um, characters are pretty forgettable, um, yep. nonsensical in their reasoning. The whole idea when they join up for this motley crew of people, none of their motivations make any sense whatsoever. Um, and you know, you, you get a guy, you save him from, I guess, captivity. And mm-hmm. he's just like, yep, I'll, I'll join up with you. Sure. Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, they get a general who's drunk and they're like, Hey, you want to get revenge? And he's like, yeah, cool, man. I'm, I'm there. Like, it's just made no sense whatsoever. Um, and the dialogue was bad. The, the ending with what happens with the ship is terrible. It makes no sense that they, um, basically an imper- what's supposed to be like an Imperial star destroyer comes to a planet and decides to go pick on some little farmers on a little bitty village. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- wh- what? It makes no sense. It's a planet. It's not like <laughs> they're going to a city and then they got to go find a farmstead. They go to a whole planet. Um, 
yeah, it's just, it's just terrible and, and pretty awful. There's there's a few things. Like I said, the cinema cinematographies, I want to say it's pretty good, but then oftentimes it does slow mo for no reason. Um, <laughs> right? Like sometimes it's the I love slow mo when it does like there's a cool scene or when uh-huh. Neo is dodging bullets and you need to see the cool right. bullets go around him, you know. Uh, but if you're just like running across the field and then it just slow mos for ten seconds, you're like, what? what's that about? You know? And then it goes, it speeds up for five seconds and then another ten seconds of slow running. And you're like, okay. Yep. Yeah. Um I I I could go on for a long time, but I think I need to take a break and let you say some things and then we can come back to me complaining about it. Sure. Yeah. You said a lot of things that I that I would have said. Last week, uh, from watching the trailer, I said I called this, um, or I think even in a in a DM to our our buddy Fox, I called it uh, Zack Snyder's Dune Wars because it looked like yeah. Dune meets Star Wars. I agree, and I, agree. Yeah. I think I think I was too generous comparing it to Dune because <laughs> yeah, yeah. the the world building in Dune is so complex that. Like whenever they adapt it to a movie, which has happened at least twice, and maybe there's a mini series, I don't know, I lose track. Um, like people get overwhelmed in the world with all the factions and the races and the planets and the spice and yeah, all of that stuff. And this movie has none of that. There's this whole narration at the beginning that's completely unnecessary. It's very clear. Like here's this this young woman this the female main character and she has a mysterious past in the military they show us all of that the bad guys the villains are like the the new order stuff from the star wars sequels they're so blatantly uh nazi analog that their uniforms look like nazi uniforms so, so right like overt it's we, ridiculous. we don't we don't need any narration to tell us why these guys are bad. They're the Empire. It's very obvious. And and, that and the, the, Empire. the Empire has some some Nazi throwbacks into it, right? With the uh, the officers. Of course. But this this was ridiculous. Like Yeah, and it's and no subtlety whatsoever. Like they come to a planet and they take and the and you know the characters say that, right? Like, what do you want? We want everything. I'm like okay, cool, subtle, complex. No, cartoon, cartoonish, cartoon uh, villains. Um, I mean, you already mentioned the the slow mo. This this whole movie is a showcase of Zack Snyder at his most Snydery, oh, and I mean that in the worst way, in the in worst, worst possible way. way. Like like a lot of the slow motion that he, I kept thinking of three hundred with the strange. Slow motion, and this this movie had like several, like an order of magnitude more awkward, unnecessary slow motion yes. compared to compared to three hundred. And then this, like the the main plot, as it were, of the movie is just Seven Samurai, like Seven Samurai with a couple of things changed. Um, a a YouTube essay that I watched on it compared it to Magnificent Seven, which is just a Western adaptation of Seven Samurai. Yeah. So it's the same. It's like, here's a village in trouble, and they're like, we've got to go 
find some people to help us defend the building, except they don't actually do that part of it. They just go find these people. And then several of the people they find, the, I'm just going to call them samurai, have these long sequences, like the guy who's um, a slave or indentured servitude, whatever, who does the whole thing where he captures, he tames that griffin or whatever. They probably yeah. don't call it a griffin because they have horses that are not it's horses. clearly they a griffin, though. Or rocks or, or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, right. those are horses with weird heads. Like, okay, 90s era Star Trek. Right. Um, and, like, it's this long, dramatic, slow-mo thing of him taming and catching, jumping, and running along cliff and all that. And I'm like, we just met this character. I do not care about this character yet for the movie to expect me to be emotionally invested in his, like, uh, feat of strength to win his freedom kind of thing. I'm like, I don't care about this. This is not, this is, this is too much to introduce a character. Um, and just like, like derivative to the point of just being by the numbers. It's like, take Star Wars A New Hope, um, mix in Seven Samurai, and then change a few of the words around so the teacher doesn't mark you off for cheating, well, for copying I, somebody I, else's paper. I hate that, that, those, right. that you even say those phenomenal films in the same breath as this one. Like, that there's even, mm. like, it's just, it's almost offensive that those are, you know, because you, you, all the articles are also saying that. Everywhere else are all doing that. They want to say, they mm. use the word Star Wars. They use... You know, Sam and Samurai. They'll use, um, you know, Dune. You know, they'll, they'll use all those words I mean, when trying there's, to. There's there's a scene. They introduce uh, the what's her name? Cora. Cora. They introduce Cora like plowing a field by hand, and then she's standing in front of this ridiculous sun, Saturn ring, whatever stuff yeah. on the planet, and it's so blatantly trying to evoke the emotion of. Luke standing there looking at the two moons, yeah. hearing that phenomenal John Williams two moons theme. And it's just nothing. It's also like 45 seconds into the movie. Right. right. Like we've seen the prologue with the narration and then here's this character. And I'm like, this is the, like, I feel nothing about this because the movie just started. Yeah. And she's smelling and, dirt. And, and you're like, okay. And, and <laughs> right. Right. Cause that's the, the, the because the planet is so rich and they try to um, hide that. Uh, they, it also it also reminded me of a Bug's Life, which <laughs> I think might also be an adaptation of Seven Samurai, <laughs> right? Like the the grasshoppers are the bandits coming to oh, to man. steal their harvest. Um, they, they they had a yeah um, that that scene. I'm glad you mentioned that Saturn background scene. That set up the stage for the rest of the film on the cinematography for me. So I did mention that cinematography was sometimes good. Sometimes it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as bad as The Flash. That's going to be my new like low bar <laughs> okay. for things. Um, but sure. so just blatantly, this is a set. Like here's the set pieces, yeah. and I can tell all the CGI that's put in. You know, mm-hmm. and and it was just real, real bad with that. And then as I was watching this two and a half hour film. Uh, I began to connect the Zack Snyder, other Zack Snyder films to this one thinking like, Oh man, all of his films are that way. Like if you go back and watch 300 again, 
it's so over the top fantastical, like an art painting type thing. And mm-hmm. it's supposed to be in Greece that you are, you, you realize it's an artwork. Like this is a piece of art. Yeah. And in, in here, mm-hmm. they're trying to show alien worlds and it just looks like CGI Photoshop. Cause they've got yeah. a green screen, clearly a green screen right there. And they can't walk around. They can walk across this stone bridge and this little area here. And then that's it. They can really go to. And I'm like, this is so not putting me in it. So the Rebel Moon universe, I have no idea what it is or anything about it. And I am not interested in it. There's, they go to a couple different planets and I don't care. It's every other, it's Star Wars, it's Firefly. It's um, every other world where there is a big central empire. I even use the word empire because that's on the nose in what do they call it in firefly federation oh the no uh, yeah the, the, um, it's the inner planets the i think it was the federation yeah. oh. it's something like that it's it's just that basic formula and then you know the planets on the outer rim are being oppressed right it's very simple and straightforward like like in the way that you can say um, original Star Wars before it was all expanded is a straightforward, like almost kids movie. This is even simpler than that. Like even right. more basic and lacking in subtlety. And, yeah, and I don't, we and haven't I don't think... even. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was say, and we don't even like, we don't mean to knock those. You and I don't think need to mean to knock those genres or those films that are doing these stories. Cause they're stories that are told, throughout time in multiple different ways and really good films is that they take these, he's taken these themes and ideas and just made the most milk toast, boring, nothingness. Out exactly. Of it, exactly. Right? There's, there's nothing wrong with simple, straightforward world building, right? Especially in a time where there are so many things that are, you know, subtle and complex to the point of being almost incomprehensible, like Dune and, I don't know, maybe Foundation. I think I only watched one episode of that. Like, there's space for both, right? In the in yeah. the entertainment sphere, right. um, but this is like it's beyond simple. It's it's dumbed down. Is the yeah. best way I can I yeah. can describe it. And we haven't even talked about the sequence that was. I mean, it was literally most Eisley Cantina. Oh, right, yeah, where. 100%. Where Charlie Hunnam is playing Han Solo, like a less yeah. charismatic Han Solo, like far less charismatic. Far less, um, right, yeah. And, and then joins for no Rand- reason? Like joins the party for no reason? Right. And and random, maybe Australian accents for... I think he's got Irish. No apparent he's reason. He's trying to do Irish, I think. Or he is Irish. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that he is English. And okay. usually plays like a generic, um, supposed accentless uh, uh, American English. Yeah. But in this, yeah, I could not even pin down what his accent was. I was like, why? And then there were other characters that had something that sounded maybe like Australian accent. I could not even pin it down. And I was like, what? what is this? And it was not consistent. Yeah. And... But yeah, I was like, like they go into this they go into this bar and I'm like there's the music, there's a montage of weird 
creatures, except they're CGI instead of Muppets. And, <laughs> you know, somebody confronts them at the bar and she kills him. And I'm like, this is, it's literally most Eisley. Like it's, yeah. it's beat for beat, the same sequence. I'm like, and, why and, would and you then do she this? Does, says, then she says to the bar, like, after she's caused this big ruckus, I'm here looking for people to fight this planet-killing massive <laughs> machine. Anybody want to join? We got nothing to pay for you except grain. I'm like, what? What? Yeah, it's it's and and then yeah, you you mentioned the writing, just characters narrating their backstory in exposition. Like I'm this, and I was this, and I'm like, she barely knows this guy, and nobody would explain their life in this way. It's completely unnatural. Completely unnatural. Uh, and she doesn't. Yeah. By the way, the main character does it twice. Like she sits around the fire and tells the guy, and then later on she tells him a little bit more, in a, in another mm-hmm. exposition dump, and I'm like. Jeez, like I would go to this lady and like, thank you for telling me about your life story. That was I feel really you know honored that you would open up to me. And then she does it the next sure. night, and I'm like, is this lady just like talk about her life all the time to anybody if they barely ask anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. you have the another example of how this what this film is, and Zack Snyder is here, and his I'm going to say his failing is that um, this the the Drider Spider Queen lady. Right. Okay. You've got a really oh, right. cool looking thing. I forgot about that. Right. Uh, you got this cool looking scene. The fight stuff isn't bad. It's pretty neat. Uh, the character is mm-hmm. really neat. Even the the person who's going to be joining the swordswoman is pretty cool. Like right. the whole look of it's pretty neat. Um, except totally not just, lightsabers. Totally not lightsabers. Right. Except, did you notice that she doesn't turn on the lightsabers until like half the battle's almost already over? And I'm like, why weren't you turning those things on the whole time you're fighting? But yeah, yeah so that that's kind of the point of it is that while visually he's got he's got the real deal, everything else he doesn't. Mm. Don't let him do dialogue between like the characters because they were just every word for both the characters were nonsense and makes no sense at all. Like you just pick one little thread and it makes no sense. Oh, I've, I'm here in this cave and my eggs don't, don't hatch. So I'm going to kill this person. And then the samurai lady's sad for her. Cause what? And, and all the whole time, the entire heroes I'm using air quotes are just standing around watching the fight. Watching. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just like the, just like the guy in, in Dentured Servitude, like the, 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 the film expects you to, be emotionally invested in this character that you've just met. Both the both the swordswoman and the spider queen thing. And it's yeah. and it's just a lot of flash with no substance. No substance. That that's probably the best phrase to describe this. If I could put that change our title here to be all flash and no substance. That's exactly <laughs> what this this movie would be. So I the only if if I try to pick out I've got one more bad thing I want to say mention it because I love talking bad about things that are really bad uh if there's one good scene at all that would be like raise that that one scene to middling it's the one with that guy you were just talking about the um the the guy from the gentleman and king arthur that that actor we were talking about his, his accent um he's actually got a scene with the main girl and there he's convincing her to go to his like criminal buyer or something on and they're on the the ship deck and they have a conversation where he kind of flirts with her and she smiles for the first time, I think, and like has a pleasant face. 
and he has and he <laughs> smirks and has a pleasant face and i'm like sure. oh cool this they're they're showing some chemistry here between two characters that there's something okay maybe there's finally we have some kind of connection that i can grab onto as some yeah. kind of emotional thing but it lasts a total of 3 minutes maybe and then the next scene it's completely destroyed with what happens in the finale and you're like that's it that's the best we get for acting and writing in this whole film um so my my last my complaint was and I don't care if I spoil this ending show for you. You can, if you don't, spoilers go away. I'm not going to even ask for the bell. But the ending is so dumb, just so so dumb. <laughs> they 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 take what I'm I can only describe as this. Uh, they're trying to say it's a star destroyer, um, and they take it down to the ship docks. Why would they take it to the ship docks? We already have established that it has multiple other ships that come out of it. So why would they take the big Star Destroyer down to the docks? It has only one gun on it that clearly shoots bullets that cause nuclear explosions, yet it shoots little speedrunners instead. And then it gets so close to the ground that one of the guys can run up with a, like a metal pole and shoot it through the glass, which, you know, it's space glass, so it's not thick, right? It's very thin. And... It right. stabs the, the driver, who, by the way, in an Imperial Star Destroyer they've got here, uh, also controls the entire ship, not just the gunning station. So yeah. you, all you got to do is push that like pilot stick down, and the Imperial Star Destroyer crashes into the ground and is gone. And you're like, are you serious <laughs> here? Like That whole thing just made me want to throw up. And if it wasn't five minutes to the end, I would have just shut it off and walked away. Um, yeah, that was the that was one of those things where... Like he started with Seven Samurai and then cut out the big battle at the I mean, didn't cut it out, but like completely neutered it with just a handful of of little things and like maybe we're supposed to care that one of the samurai die uh, I, dies. I did not care that that guy died. Not even a bit. No. No. Like yeah. I mean be, I mean that was true of all the characters, like at no point was I emotionally invested in any of the characters? No. And matter of fact, so when the flat. brother joined, I immediately knew he was going to die. You've already got a bunch of cast of characters here that you don't care about. And this one has a sister that looks exactly the same. And she's actually the leader. Like, oh, yeah. So this guy's going to die. And sure enough, he did. Mm-hmm. So, so, so terrible. And every character in this film has bullet immunity, right? Like they have yep. 50 guys around them all pointing guns at them but they all can't hit anything and the heroes just right. run across in front of them, grab up guns, start shooting back and win. And you're like, Oh my God. So yeah. dumb. So dumb. So yes, rebel moon is not worth your time. I'm even saying that as a sci-fi person, I don't even think any of the visuals are worth watching it for. Um, yeah, it's I, two, I it's two and a half hours of wasted time. It really is. Um, and I had a lot of hopes for this, not hopes, but I thought, oh, this looked really good. And, and if you've listened to my, to me over the years, this is me, Michael talking to you, listener, you know, <laughs> that I give things chances. I will like take some terrible films and make excuses why I might like them. Cause there's a couple scenes. So when I tell you that this is not worth watching, it's not worth watching. Don't waste your time. It's, ugh. they, and they have, they have the audacity to split it into two films. Yeah, that we gotta we gotta find out about the princess with healing magic. 
With healing magic. You mean the girl from um, The Golden Compass? Because that's what I thought that was. I never saw Golden Compass, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, just, oh, whatever. But she had like a wolf that came with a dead parakeet or some kind of nonsense? I don't remember. I just remember she, she heals some bird in a flashback. Yeah. In one of Cora's flashbacks about her oh man this, this is this is this is starting to turn into a, a fun film to just bash on like i think now i start to feel <laughs> better just talking to you dennis about now that i'm bashing on it and and i want to go talk with other people for hours about how every little scene and how terrible every scene is but yeah i won't all right dennis move, i'm gonna wrap it up say i don't recommend it to anybody clearly i'm assuming you're the same yes yes yeah, same uh, what do you got for me that's better than this for next week? Okay, uh, I know almost nothing about this movie, but we're going to, because I'm going to be here with family until we record next time, I didn't want to pick anything too ambitious. Sure, um, sure. I did watch a new movie called The Holdovers. Okay. Um, with Paul Giamatti. It's You know I like not, him. You can't. Yeah, it's it's brand new, but it's set in the seventies, um, like during Vietnam, and it's a it's a boarding school, a New England boarding school, um, and he's stuck there uh, watching the the boys who can't go home for can't you know or who are stuck at the school over the Christmas break. Um, but that one is still like you have to rent it, or it's in I think it's still in theaters. So we'll save that one. Um, I think you'll like it Uh, and I'll probably win awards next year. But um, instead I picked another light um, rom-com Christmas rom-com that uh, uh, Pete mentioned. And I think uh, our buddy Trotsky watched and liked called this is Christmas. Okay. Um, I don't know much about it. Uh, Let me, I did. I did see that it, there was a, a show on our list here called "This Is Christmas," and I thought, "Well, we haven't. It's we're passing Christmas time. And we haven't watched it yet, so now right. I know why." It's um, it's it's set in London, so it might be English uh, characters, and they um, they share a commute. Um, that's most of what I'm getting from the from the summary, but it has a seven out of ten on um, IMDb where. Mm-hmm. Rebel Moon Part One has a five point seven, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, it's already got that going for it. Yeah, well, the I think it's the critics, and I'm not a critics person on Rotten Tomatoes, but twenty six percent is what Rotten Tomatoes was with a sixty percent audience for Rebel Moon. Ugh. Okay, so so no no not on not holdovers yet. We're gonna hold over yeah. on the holdovers. Um, hey. We're gonna watch this is Christmas. Okay, cool. That, that's good. I can, I can definitely get down with that. Um, something I wanted to talk about before we run out of time here. Um, hopefully it won't take that time. Is uh, Sid and I went and watched The Boy and the Heron in the theaters this weekend. Mm. The it's the Ghibli. latest Hideo Miyazaki film from Studio Ghibli. Ghibli. Yeah. Uh, for those who I we had several people we were with family a lot this last week and and we were looking forward to seeing it. We left a Christmas gathering to go watch it. Um. And they were all like, oh, what are you going to go watch? What are you going to watch? And I had to go run through the, Sid and I both had to run through the spiel of who Hideo Miyazaki is, what Studio Ghibli is. Because you just say anime, and then all of a sudden people's eyes glaze over. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're we're going to go watch an anime. Like, you don't understand. 
Studio Ghibli's legendary. Hideo Miyazaki wasn't going to make films, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was lead up into it. So I had he's a, retired uh, like two or three times now. Yeah, exactly right. He's the Michael um, Jordan of uh, anime for, for for sure. Um, and I don't know if this will be his last or not. I somehow doubt it, but it's obviously purportedly his last. Um, and it he's got he's different. So every one of his films, I think, are really good. There's not a one I don't like. But they sure. you don't always get the same thing. Uh, and I want to I point to things like The Wind Rises uh, is different mm-hmm. than Princess Mononoke, right? One is right. Uh, kind of a personal story with um, a, he, the human world kind of basically, you know, like um, The mm-hmm. Wind Rises, you know, very kind of realistic type stuff, um, emotional stuff with painting and artwork. Uh, and then the other one is the fantastical, completely uh, imaginary world type stuff, right? That's. Yeah. How, how does someone have a mind like this kind of thing? Um, and both are good, but they're just different. Uh, so this, I didn't know what I was going to get coming into this one. Which one of those type stuff? I didn't watch mm-hmm. any right. trailer. I didn't watch, read anything about it. I wanted to go into it cold and just enjoy it for itself. It's a limited release. That's why we left in case. I'm like, why would you leave family on Christmas? Well, this is a limited release. It was <laughs> not going to be in theaters long, especially here. Sure. Um, and Sid's in town, so we were going to go watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And my uh, couple one-sentence review of it, if put it in a nutshell, is that it's phenomenal. It's everything Studio Ghibli has been um, and is. It's, it is it is the fantastical instead of the, the real. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen his films, Castle in the Sky, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, as I mentioned, um, my neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service. There's just so many the the Pano, and th- they have just incredible visuals to them. This one has just that again. Like, how does this guy keep doing more amazing visual storytelling, um, <laughs> and and good writing as well along the way? I just can't believe he keeps doing it, and it continues to be good. And I watch things like. Them, the, a, guy, a guy protagonist crawling through a little sewer thing and it's just a quick little shot as they're trying to escape and it's all the details like the little bugs on the side of the of the the wall that come together and they make like a little like not like a high five but they're like a little community and then they swirl around together and they take off a screen like all the little things to detail to make the world unbelievable and fantastical this guy does and I just don't know how he does it and I'm Every scene I was, my eyes were feasting on it. I was enraptured by it. Um, and it's, he does the opposite of what Zack Snyder does. He gives you the things you need to know, but not, not everything. Like there's so much of this world that we just don't understand. If you think about Spirited Away, one of our favorite films, uh, you know that there's this bathhouse and that there's spirits that come to it. And then they go out to, they take a train that has some spirits on it. They go out to a, to a swamp where a lady lives. But there's clearly this entire world and planet and things that are happening. And you don't know. He just tells you what you need to know, what they're doing. Mm. And you just look back like, oh, this is incredible. There's a, in this one, there's a whole like city of parakeets that are human sized and they 
they are cannibals because they eat people. And they're like this guard. They're guarding this thing. You don't know why, but they're running from them. And you're like, oh, they're definitely bad guys. And then they kind of burst into the real world. And they turn into little parakeets. And you're like, man, that is just so incredible that you don't know what to think. Um, and to keep you on the story, I, I was talking to Sid about this, is that you have the main protagonist who's something like a, he seems like 13-year-old boy. And while all of this stuff is happening and all this craziness of fantastical stuff is happening, this 13-year-old boy has a mission. He has a goal, and the goal is the plot of the of the film. Like, he wants to get to point A, point B, point C, and point D. And he stays laser-focused on doing those things so that if you get, as a as a viewer, get caught up and confused about all this other stuff that happens, the kid turns around and says, I'm going to... I don't care about this. I'm going to go save this person. That's what I'm here for. And I just go straight at it. And that person, that character keeps you focused, keeps you going, driving the plot. You're paying attention to that person. Um, They like, it almost feels like you're holding onto their back shirt as they're going along in, in the story. And you're like, this is so great. I'm so glad for this. And it just marches through, um, in a wonderful story, a wonderful land, uh, you don't know everything about it by the time it's over. You just know you experience this really interesting world. Um, it, it, by the way, it does start out in the real world, just kind of like how Spirited Away does, and then he goes into this kind of right. fantastical place. Yeah. Um, and and you're like, what? I, I just when we sat there through the whole credits, talking about it in the theater, sat there talking about the film until the credits were over. I'm like, oh, I guess we we better leave. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I know I've been gushing for the last ten minutes, but. Man, if you like Studio Ghibli films, this one this one's going to sit up in my top 3 probably for sure. Nice. Um yeah, and for a film that, you know, is way late in his career. It's, you know, like the guy stops at the top of his game and he comes back and elevates the game again. And you're like, wow. Geez. Yeah, I think uh Miyazaki is like in his 80s now. Yeah, he's an older gentleman. Or 3 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how they do the the studio? Sid and I hadn't looked this up, and I wasn't sure. I said I'll talk to Dennis about it, see if he knows. So Studio Ghibli has a has a look to them, right? When you go to we talked about Disney Animation or Pixar, mm-hmm. when they put films out, they will choose almost an art style, and they will the film will be in that style. You know, right. so it could it could be the same team that does Frozen, that does Moana, that does Encanto, and they're different. They have different looks to them, you know, but even though they're the same studio, but a studio Ghibli film from the first studio Ghibli film to this film has the same art style all the way through. Do you know, is it, do they train new artists to be that way? Or is it really a bunch of 70 year old guys and girls <laughs> painting, um, doing the same stuff? I assume they have like a style guide, right? Like, like they do for writing, right? Like different magazines and newspapers have a writing style guide. Okay. Um, I know that Disney, I don't know, I don't watch enough animated Disney stuff now to say, but I feel like they have one style at a time, and then it changes, has changed over the decades. And I know that Disney has a school, right? Like, they they started an art college to train new animators. Um, okay. But I feel like... Um, you know, like uh, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, 
have one kind of style. True. And then very true, very true. around the time Pixar happened, you get like Emperor's New Groove, um, mm-hmm. Hercules, Hunchback. and a couple of Hercules. those that have yeah. a, a different style. And then you get into, there's probably more in between that I'm, that I'm neglecting, but you get into the like Rapunzel, um, whatever else came out around the time of Rapunzel, Frozen, some of those, and maybe now into the Moana, Encanto, um, some of those that are more, maybe those are more like Frozen and, and Tangled than I'm remembering. There's some consistency, right, in like, and maybe even the modern style has more in common with the 90s style than the late 90s, early 2000s, like Hercules era style. Yeah. Um, but in in terms of like, I mean, they're using more 3D animation now, obviously, than they did in the 90s, but things like the the head shapes and the eyes and it's it's a little more anime, but I think it always has been a little bit anime. And I don't know um, what the, what the history is. I know there's a lot of cross pollination of American culture with Japanese culture since, um, since like the fifties. And so there's some of that, but anyway, I'm way off, (laughs) way off topic here. The for studio Ghibli, I assume they have a, um, like a style manual or whatever. I don't know if they train animators. I know that there are books like, you know, drawing books, like teach you how to draw manga or whatever. Right. Um, I know that there are books like that for the Studio Ghibli style. Oh, okay. Um, well, that, that makes that makes sense. I believe that. And so there's some of that because you're right. It's not, um, I don't know if this has diverged over time, but there's a, there's a, drastic um, visual style difference between Studio Ghibli and other anime studios um, in terms of the, again, the faces and the eyes and head shapes and yeah. color palettes and, and all of that stuff. Um, and, and, and something about if, how, I don't know if that was always, if his, if how Miyazaki's style was always different from other anime at the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, mainstream anime style has evolved. Like I can watch, I can watch stuff from not even a decade ago and go, Ooh, this looks like it looks old. I don't even have yeah. to go back to like, we watched Evangelion and stuff and see, okay, that was 30 years ago. So of course yeah. it's different, but um, yeah. Yeah. He, he uh, we, t- we spoke about this, I think when we talked about, with uh, the wind rises and um, and I watched Ponyo in the theater was you and I discussed Ghibli's animation, not just the artwork, but like that they, it almost feels slow and intentional sometimes. Like they make, mm-hmm. it's like they're ha- on a higher frame rate almost. Maybe they animate more frames or something, but they move with some intention and fluidity kind of about them. It's very studio Ghibli unique. Um, mm-hmm. And watching, watching this film, I don't know. It just made my heart feel really good. That that like familiarity of of oh here we're on we're on a ride again, and you know I'm I'm going into a new world, a new a new Studio Ghibli world, and I'm and I'm here for it, and I love it. And it doesn't. It's not just like a one scene. 
you know, cause sometimes you're like, Oh, they, there's the thing I notice. And then the other rest is something different. Like, no, there's that. Oh, we're in it and we're staying in it. And it's, they don't stop. So yeah. that's, yeah, it's just, just really good. And I really, I, I, I definitely recommend it to you personally, Dennis. I, I think that you, mm-hmm. you don't have to watch in a, a theater. It's definitely not one that you have to watch in a theater, but I, obviously it's always theater that adds to it when you're in a big screen mm-hmm. and it's dark in there, but this is a limited release. And a lot of people won't see it. I don't don't beat yourself up. People listening to oh, I really missed it in the theater. It's okay. You can watch this one on there. It's if I watched uh, Spirited Away on a smaller TV, and it really still had a good emotional resonance with me. And this one still will as well because it's just a good a good film, um, and fun. And I'll watch it multiple times again. It'll like I said, it's top three, so I'll put it in my on my playlist. Nice. Uh, yeah, de- definitely recommend. Uh, what else we got here today? Um, I don't have anything new, but I did um, rewatch the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Oh, I can't believe I didn't watch that again this year. Still, is it still hold up? Is it still okay? Now that the third one's it's, come out, it's it's still fantastic. Like, there's more lore to the characters, but it's just it's short and sweet with some pretty fantastic music and yeah. Again, more for how silly the Guardians um, setting, franchise, whatever is, um, they managed to pull off some real, like, emotionally um, impactful uh, sequences and, and dialogue and things, um, which which is great. And then I also watched um, 8-Bit Christmas, which has become our... Our classic. I was realizing as I watched it that it really is like laser focused at our generation, yes. or almost almost not even generation, like genre, like demographic yes. is the yes. word I'm looking for. Um, like my age, minus a couple years, plus like five to ten years, maybe. Yeah. Um. Almost exactly like. I don't know how close I am in age to Neil Patrick Harris, but like to have mm-hmm. been a kid when Nintendo happened. Um, and also for me, like they're in, they're somewhere in the Chicagoland area. Yeah. Um, right. Which makes all of um, Steve Zahn's lines about Wisconsin or the Packers or whatever makes those mm-hmm. even more funny to me. Um, right. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a little bit how my dad is. Yeah, um, right. Was a little more when we still lived in Illinois. But uh, yeah, it, just it, it even has just the, fantastic. And then you know, tearjerker ending and well, that, that yeah, that, that 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 ending's hard hard to beat too. It's that, um, and I, I, I de- this unlike Rebel Moon, I, I don't want to spoil this for people who haven't watched it. It 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 has a from the left field. You didn't see it coming, maybe, or you, it has a point to the film that you didn't realize was the point of the film. And mm-hmm. and then when you realize the point of the film, you're like, Oh yeah, that was the whole time. And now I, I just feel wrapped in this experience of what they're trying to tell me. Um, yeah. I mean, it feels like, like if you just watch the trailer or you start watching the movie, like it feels like a modern retelling of a Christmas story Christmas for story, right. young Gen Xers or yes. old millennials, right. whatever. Right. Whichever camp you choose to 
identify yeah. with. I'm you're probably more of a young Gen Xer, and I'm a little more of an older millennial. But right. um, you're like, oh, this is the same because you can still watch a Christmas story, like yes. with the exception right. of the restaurant scene at the end. There's very little of it that doesn't hold up. You know, even decades. I mean, it was already like made in the '80s, set in the '30s. Correct, but right. um, you you get further into the film and you're like, oh, it's not. It's not just that. Like they started with that, but they're really doing something new with it in a way that Zack Snyder didn't. I don't want to keep comparing this movie to Rebel Moon either, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's and, and, and the, the and, relationship and I, with his sister and um, sister, yeah, and it, all of it that just stuff. it just yeah. has a a good it it sticks the landing right as well, which mm-hmm. is you know, it doesn't need to. It's just if it's a Christmas story, a Christmas story isn't about the ending per se. It's got a fine ending, but it's just about the the vignette stories throughout. And this felt like a right. little about that for a minute, um, and then now just kind of brings it and has an ending that makes the whole thing more poignant and, and big. And to this day, my, my sister still sends me a message and she'll say, Hey, what are you doing? What are you up to? Millennium Falcon, super cool. I'm like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it, I, I loved, I also, we watched it. I mean, it is a, a tradition here also as well with our family now. Um, and, and a happy one. We, we, we did put on Christmas story, Christmas day, and we've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, but, um, Eight, nothing like eight bit Christmas still makes me actually want to watch the whole thing and sit down and not do anything else. And I did. And it was, it's great. Right. So did Sid. Yeah. Um, I also and, watched, um, Christmas vacation, which is, a I have classic. not seen that one. I have a problem um, with that. It just, I was so ruined on Chevy chase being a jerk in real life. I, I, I know I try oh. not to put that in. I really try not to put my actors into my people in the movies, but that's such a hard, sure. cause he, he's, he can be such a jerk in that film, but it's funny because mm-hmm. you know, he's not really a jerk, but when you know that he kind of is a jerk, you're like, oh, okay, he's trying his best, but the actor in real life. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one, that one thing kinda, I, yeah. yeah, I get that. And I know that it's not, it's not for everybody. It's got some real, like, questionable comedy but um <laughs> one thing i forgot to say about about the guardians special which this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler but when um i think it's craglin uh the james gunn's brother is talking to um kevin bacon right and he's like he told us stories about how you saved a whole town by dancing and once Pete saved the whole galaxy by dancing, you're the one who taught him to be a hero. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching the scene and I'm crying. I'm like, yeah. this is so dumb. This should not be so emotionally moving that I'm, that I've got tears in my eyes, but it works. Like it, it somehow pulls it off and it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I do. I do love all those. Um, so we're we're wrapping we're wrapping up here for for the evening and mm-hmm. uh, we've got um, the, the end of the year here. I think it was a good year. We've got on, on the podcast on the show coming things coming up. What, what do we have anything in particular that you're looking forward to next year? Um, any movies or games or something that might be a little exciting coming out? I don't know. I mean, I'm trips. Or- I'm really. Ex- I'm really excited to find out what happens in Rebel Moon part. Two. I knew you were going to say that. I knew I asked you that question <laughs> and you bring up Rebel Moon. Like I can't wait for part um, two, right? Right, right. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, who knows? Hopefully, a new season of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm well, assuming they've been greenlit else. for season three, right? They they have. They. I got. The I can't out. imagine they haven't. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I have the, heard the that Paramount is being taken over by Warner Brothers. Like, I know they own it's the company, but I think they're wrapping Paramount into mm-hmm. Warner Brothers. And okay. that's. I mean, I know. I know that that some of the some of the networks or studios or whatever you call them now are really struggling with their streaming services for a variety yeah. of reasons that are too complex to uh, get into right here, right now. Um, yeah. I'll just say I really hope that Strange New Worlds is not a casualty of that. It feels like yes the the most it feels like the most successful of the quote unquote new Trek. Um, projects and Agreed. I hope it continues. That's yeah. They, there's, there's some worry about that with, I mean, just low worry that with Warner brothers pulling them in to things like HBO max or and all, whatever they might do that like they paramount. If this goes kind of goes works deal works through paramount and star Trek and all that stuff will be in that same kind of studio. Per, the, the head studio heads and execs will, who wouldn't have star war or star Wars star Trek in their wheelhouse now will i don't know what they're going to do i mean granted on the other that being said star trek is new trek what we would call it is in a spot that can maybe need a little bit of spark put into it because discovery's gone and um i can't think of anything besides lower deck and strange new worlds that's been out picard's done there's the kid one prodigy there's the cat and and all and all that stuff is pretty much everybody's ready to kind of move on from uh, mm-hmm. with the exception of lower decks and strange new worlds. So ending right. a couple series is like, namely Picard and, and discovery. Uh, maybe they start up something new with a different, not Lindelof, you know, helmed type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get, we can get something, some new Trek, uh, better Trek. I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm trying to be positive with that. Um, sure. But anyway, my mine would be. Um, I mean, there's a lot coming out, I'm sure, or movies and games that I that I want to play. But the only one I can think of right now, off the top of my head, is that uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Dune Part Two. Um, mm. This the trailer looks for it looks in the theater looks amazing, and I'm like I'm I'm here for it. Uh, the the actors and you know the media thing going around it is that uh, the first one was clearly just set up and it was beautiful and really set up this whole world and things. And two is when everything happens. Um, and we know that if you've seen the films or what, writing the books, you know, that's exactly right. Um, right. So get, getting that first one, which was beautiful and great and just a pure setup. It's, it was still, it's still to this day weird to me that they released it and didn't have another one coming a year later that they didn't even start filming the second one until later. That's still weird to me. Um, yeah. It's because weird the first one to... was just so set up. I understand why a studio would do that, but it seems so risky from a, from a filmmaker's perspective, it's like the opposite of Lord of the Rings. Like you agree to this and you take the money and you make, you make half the story. Um, yeah. Not knowing if you're going to get greenlit for the rest of the story. It's a weird, a weird choice. But, yeah. It's like, it's yeah, like they, we'll if it was in star Wars things, it's they, they get to the point where they meet Han Solo and they meet um, Obi-Wan and they leave escape most likely cantina. And then they, that's the end of the movie. Like mm-hmm. you need, it's just, that's just the beginning. That's just the setup of everything. And then that's what you get, which is really cool. So it was weird to me that they would do that. And that 
translates into the I can't wait for the second one because I want to actually you know see the the movie the the film right um, and there is a yeah. third one but it's not like that that like this will be the full story with one and two then the third one is continuing of Paul Atreides and stuff but yeah that's 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 probably my my fun let's look into the future crystal ball stuff that I want for next next year so that's the one I want to I'm gonna go at. Should, all right, cool. And I'm looking forward to more Kang in the Marvel Universe and see what they're going to do with that guy. <laughs> right? That's good. You you got me. You you're, you were looking for something to follow up that Rebel Moon joke. You, you, you pulled it off. You know, when you said the Rebel Moon thing, I, and I, we, I had Dune on my head, I thought, you know what? Maybe Rebel Moon is just like a parody of Dune, like kind of like the another, not another teen movie or the, the things spoofs of Scream. Maybe Rebel Moon is it's, just a spoof it's, of It's the Dune. space balls of Dune. Yeah, that's unintentionally becomes the hey let's right, let's right. all make fun. I did hear read one Rotten Tomatoes review that guy was like, uh, "This could actually be a good movie if you all your buddies get together and drink a lot and had throw popcorn at the screen, then it would be good, like a mystery <laughs> science theater thing." Like, nice, oh yeah, nice. yeah, that that makes sense. Pretty all cool. right, man. I think uh, why don't you r- take us out for the rest of the year? All right, you have been listening to the Front Porch. This is episode three hundred and twenty nine. Thanks, as always, to our friends at LRM Online. Uh, I think Fox will have some reviews up there for the Holdovers and a few other um, um, classics he saw this year. Maybe Suzume um, from the creator of Your Name. I think I talked about that movie when I saw it in theater. It was fantastic. Um, If you want to reach out to us and tell us everything we are wrong about Rebel Moon and how Zack Snyder is the greatest auteur of his generation... You can reach us via email. That address is frontporchpod at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, where you will find contact forms to reach out to us. And show notes when relevant, but I don't think we have any of those this week. If you enjoyed the Front Porch, as always, uh, please consider subscribing on the podcast of choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever you get your podcasts. It's also there on our website. And if you would... Give us a positive review, four or five stars, maybe six if they'll let you. Um, <laughs> we just appreciate that so much. It helps us out in the rankings and algorithms. As always, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the front porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.